Some of you are sitting there right now like, are we even allowed to play that song in church? Is that even allowed? And the truth answer to that is, I have no idea. I really don't know if we're allowed to or not, um, but I'm going with it anyway. Um, today, if you're, if you're sitting there wondering like, what is going on right now, we are in week two of a series called Netflix and Chill. And what we're talking about is sexuality in our culture. And we're talking about the messages that our culture gives us about sex and the messages that God has for us when it comes to sex. And so uh, last week we began that series, and today um, we're talking about sexual healing. That's what we're talking about. It's a great song by Marvin Gaye, and it's also a great sermon title. And so we're going to dive into it. And what I want you to hear at the very beginning of this um, message today is I want to pick up right where we left off last week. And at the end of the sermon last week, we talked about how Jesus had a nickname. Jesus was known by a, a certain term, and this was the term that Jesus was known by. <coughs> People called him, in Matthew 11, you see it, uh, people called Jesus the friend of sinners. That's how he was known. So my prayer this morning is that as we talk in the next few minutes, that you would encounter Jesus exactly that way, as the friend of sinners. The goal of this conversation is not guilt, it's not condemnation, it's not shame. Uh, the goal of this conversation is how do we find sexual healing? How does God want to bring uh, healing to our sexual past and our sexual brokenness in our lives. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And I can tell you that because I've encountered him that way. And so I'd love to share, if I could, uh, just a little bit of my story. Some of you, if you've been coming to Frontline for a while, you've heard uh, quite a bit of this. Uh, but when, the first time I ever viewed pornography, I was 10 years old. I was at a friend's house, uh, and his parents were gone. And he happened to know where his dad hid his stash of X-rated porno videos. And so I literally remember we got this, these like VHS tapes. Some of you can remember VHS tapes. And we put them in and we began watching porn. And I can still remember, I can still call to my mind right now those images, those first images. They're still there in my brain if I recall them. Um, and that experience <coughs> began for me a, the next few years of my life, uh, what I would refer to as an addiction to pornography, um, all the way up into my early 20s, there, was a, 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 there were a couple of years there of my life where I don't think I went a day without viewing some kind of pornographic material. And I had friends, and we shared things with each other and all this, and it just was kind of like normal guy behavior for me for a long time. And, and it set in motion, you know, an addiction that shaped me. Um, it shaped the kind of person I was. It shaped the way I viewed women. Uh, it shaped even some of the sexual decisions I made uh, in relationships during those years. And it, and it shaped me to the point where in my 20s, I, I really made a, a, a radical effort to rid my life of it. And um, fast forward, if you could, about 10 years or so into my early 30s, as a married father of four, I really thought I had shut the door to all of that in my life and that my sexual broken past was pretty much over. And even though I wasn't looking at, at porn, uh, I, over the course of about a year, walked down the path of an emotional affair and got about as close to blowing up my life and my marriage and my ministry as you can come. I came about as close to an actual sexual affair as, as you can come. And the only reason, one of, well, one of the main reasons, I would say, that I'm standing here before you today, that I'm still married today, the credit goes to my wife, Carrie, who just refused to give up during that period of time, just refused to walk out on our marriage, even though I had given her plenty of reason to do so. 
Um, now, the reason I tell you all that is not because it's fun or, and not because it's easy. Frankly, it's humiliating um, to, to stand in front of you, the congregation that I serve, and tell you those things. But here, here's why I tell you that, and I want you to know this. I want you to know that right now, Carrie and I are in the best season of our marriage that we have ever been in in 19 years of marriage. I'm not kidding you. We are at right now, <clears throat> we are right now in the best spot that we have ever been in our marriage before or after. But what I want you to hear is that God can heal broken people. Jesus can set people free from sexual addiction, and he can heal marriages, and he can give people new life that they never even thought was possible, maybe, maybe even new life that you never dreamed that you could have. Jesus can do that. He can set people free. And, and I want you to hear that. I want you to know that. And that's the only reason this morning why I would venture out and even bother telling you the story is because I think there are some people in this room that God wants to set free and some marriages that he wants to heal and some sexual brokenness that God wants you to not have to carry anymore. Um, if you think about our culture, expressing our sexuality is one of the highest valued things in our culture, isn't it? I mean, the, it, the message is you be you, you do you. Don't let anybody tell you how you should or shouldn't express yourself sexually. And in fact, if you do, if you speak out and say, well, you know, this is how you should or shouldn't express yourself sexually, people are offended. Like they take that very personally. Express, being, having the freedom to just express yourself sexually however um, you feel like you want to is a high, high value in our culture. But here, here's the question I want to pose to all of us today. And here's what I want you to think about. What if, what if the way that we're expressing our sexuality is actually coming from a place of brokenness in our own lives? If the message is, hey, just, you be you, just express yourself however comes naturally to you, that, that sounds great, doesn't it? But what if what comes naturally to us and the way that we're expressing ourselves naturally what if that's actually overflowing out of a place of brokenness, out of a place, a place of woundedness in our lives? If that's the case, then whatever comes naturally to us, whatever way we're expressing ourselves sexually is just multiplying that brokenness and spreading it around. That's all we're doing. And so where we're going this morning, what I want to look at is I want to look at the two women of Proverbs 7 and Proverbs chapter 8. The writer talks about two very different women that, that represent two very different paths and here's what I want you to hear. There is a path towards sexual brokenness, and we're going to look at that in Proverbs 7. There is a path that leads towards sexual brokenness. Our culture will not tell you that. Our culture will say there is absolutely no path. You just do you. You be you. Express yourself however you feel you, you want to express yourself. There is an actual path towards sexual brokenness, and I also want you to know that there is a path towards sexual healing. There is an actual path towards sexual healing. Now, what you need to know about the book of Proverbs is that Proverbs was written principally to young men. In fact, a lot of the book of Proverbs, if you've read it in the Bible, is, is, is spoken from the perspective of a father speaking to his sons. It's a father saying, my sons, do this, do that, uh, live this way, live that way. So it's written principally to young men. And so in Proverbs chapter 7 and chapter 8, the, the writer is trying to talk to his sons and young men are principally interested in one thing, women, right? I mean, that's, that's what young men are interested in. And so uh, to metaphorically describe 
these two very different paths, the writer talking to his sons describes two very, very different women. And the first path that he describes, the first woman he describes, is a pathway that leads to death. And he says, there's, there's this woman, I wanted to depict her for you, and this is a, a pathway that leads to death, okay? So we're going to jump in. This is kind of a longer passage of Scripture than we usually read, but I, I want you to, to stick with it all the way through. <coughs> he says this, While I was at the window of my house, looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. The woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, and with a brazen look she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. You're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets, with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. Man, that Egyptian linen, it just gets me every time. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses. For my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. He has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. Listen to the way he, he's describing this, the imagery here. He was caught like a stag in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons. This is the point of the whole passage. Listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away toward her. Do not wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. This is the way the father describes this pathway. So the first, the first thing I think you need to know about sexual healing, the first thing, if you're going to experience any kind of sexual healing in your life from past sin, from past brokenness, the place you have to begin uh, is here. You have to begin by acknowledging that there was a pathway that led to sexual brokenness in your life. You have to begin by acknowledging there was a, an actual pathway that you walked down that led to sexual sin and sexual brokenness in your life. Um, you have to call it what it was. Because a lot of times we just don't call it what it is. We say, oh, it was harmless flirting. It was just this. It was just that. And we dismiss it or excuse it. But what you have to realize is that those things weren't harmless. And you have to get to a point, if you want to experience any sexual healing, you have to begin with acknowledging the way you walked down this path. There was a path that led to the sexual brokenness that you're experiencing in your life. Uh, porn can be a part of that path. Our world, uh, pornography is so easy to find. It's becoming easier and easier to find. 
Um, what I want you to hear is that the brain actually gets rewired and new neural pathways are actually developed when you view pornography regularly. Study after study after study has been done on this. So if you think of a neural pathway, kind of like a path in the woods, just to give you kind of a visual of what we're talking about, just like there's a, like a path in the woods, the more it's used, the wider that path becomes, the more permanent that path becomes, the easier that path becomes to find if you just use it again and again and again. That's kind of what happens in our brain with a neural pathway. And pornography, study after study has been shown, it, it creates neural pathways in a powerful way in our brains. And so when you view pornography regularly, what happens is that eventually you get to the point where you actually cannot experience sex independent from porn. You can't experience any kind of sexual experience because your brain is so wired with those neural pathways um, to, that you can't experience it without uh, porn. To put simply and maybe kind of bluntly, what porn does is it turns sex into masturbation and it rewires our brains until we need it instead of our spouse. And we're looking to porn instead of our spouse to meet our needs. That's what it does. And that's how it wires our brains and it creates an addiction. It creates something that, that we can't get away from. Uh, <clears throat> what happens eventually is you'll get to a point where you'll choose normal over new. You'll choose what be, has become normal. Those neural pathways are so powerful that, that you'll just choose what's normal every time over what could be new. And here's what I want you to hear. Jesus wants something new for you in your marriage, in your life. If you're, if you're younger and you're dating and, and you're thinking about, man, does this even matter? I mean, I'm just a single guy. I'm a single girl, whatever. You'll, you, Jesus wants something new for you in your life. Don't let porn become the thing that's normal. Speech can become part of that path as well. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it in the passage we just read. Um, the way we talk to each other, the relationships that we have, absolutely are part of the pathway. It says, so she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. So the gateway to the bedroom oftentimes is through our speech. And it happens very innocently, right? There's this pathway that people walk down toward an affair. And so what happens is, you know, people, two people bond over, you know, a shared common interest. Maybe their kids play on the same sports team, or maybe they know each other from work, whatever it is. And what happens is little by little, they start talking about more than just their common interests. They start sharing things from their life. They start sharing things even about their marriage. Well, you know, my husband, he doesn't do this. Or my, my wife, she's not really this, but you are, you're more like that. And little by little, our speech actually opens the door to further relationships to the point where we're actually anticipating time together. We're thinking about that person. And then we, we begin to hide the relationship from our spouse any way we can, hide text messages or phone calls or anything like that. And then we start to look for ways to meet with that person, look for ways to be alone with that person, look for opportunities and create, make up reasons to get together and be around that person. And when you do that, there's this pathway you walk down and eventually you will engage sexually if you go down that path. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that new neural pathways can be formed in your brain and old neural pathways do fade with time. And you absolutely can break the power of an emotional affair and turn around and walk the other direction. You can, you can break the power of an affair and you can walk away. That is absolutely possible. Tr take my word for it. And Jesus can heal broken marriages. He can help us forgive and, and give us a new life and give us new marriages. So you wonder, well, how? How does, how does he do that? By understanding something. 
And, and here's what I, I need you to understand if you're going to experience sexual healing. Um, you can easily be led down a path of sexual brokenness. Remember, you got to start with acknowledging there's a, there was a pathway that led to sexual brokenness. What you have to understand is that you can easily be led down the pathway to sexual brokenness. Remember the woman? She comes out and she entices him and she keeps bringing him down this pathway. She talks to him. She tells him about her bed and all this stuff and she just keeps leading him down this pathway. You can be easily led down a pathway of sexual brokenness. But if you want to experience sexual healing, you have to choose to pursue and chase after wisdom. If you want to experience sexual healing, the second thing you have to do after acknowledging that there was a path you walked down, you have to choose to pursue the path of wisdom. You have to actually go after sexual healing. Sexual brokenness will find you, I promise. You won't have to do anything. You'll just be led down the path, like, like the guy in Proverbs 7 with the woman. But if you want sexual healing, you have to chase it. You have to pursue wisdom. And this is what Proverbs 8 says. This is the second woman. So the father speaking to the sons said, there's another woman. Proverbs 8, 1 begins this way. Listen, as wisdom calls out, hear as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates of the entrance to the town, on the road leading in, she cries aloud, I call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. <clears throat> you foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. Okay, so wisdom is pictured as a woman, of course. All the men in the room are like, yeah, of course. So uh, it's pictured as a woman, and she, what she's doing is she's raising her voice in public. If you notice the context of that passage, she's speaking to the society. And she's saying, I have wisdom for you. There is a pathway that leads to wisdom. It leads to sexual healing. It leads to fulfillment and wholeness. And she's crying out in the public square. That's, that's what the language is describing. Standing at the crossroads, standing at where the main intersections were. And she's screaming to the society, listen to me, pay attention to me, for I have a pathway that leads to life. She goes on, I love all who love me. Listen to the language. Those who search will surely find me. I have riches and honor as well as enduring wealth and justice. And so my children, listen to me for all who follow my ways are joyful. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Joyful are those who listen to me watching for me daily at, the, at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. This is somebody like almost like driving their bike by her house all the time. Just like, you know, they're always, they're always just hanging out. For whoever finds me, she says, finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. This is a pathway that you have to pursue because God wants joy and life for us. Last week we said this series is not about what God wants to keep you from. It's a series about what God wants to keep you for. She said, those who, who find me, those who search after me, they're joyful. They experience fulfillment. They, they experience a good life. But listen to the language. Whoever finds me, she says, finds life. Those who search for me will find there's a pathway that led to your sexual brokenness. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to start there. But what you've got to realize is that you, it's easy to be led down that path. And you're going to keep getting led down that path because you won't have to do anything. It'll just happen. It's just that easy to get led down that path. But if you want sexual healing, you have to actually pursue. 
You have to search in order to find. You have to go after. You have to ride your bike, you know, back and forth in front of the house of wisdom. You have to just keep going there if you want to experience healing and freedom. And so what I want to give you here in the next just couple minutes, I want to give you three things specifically to pursue. As, as, as I've experienced and I've, I, as I've tried to pursue uh, healing and pursue wisdom, three things I think you have to pursue if you're going to pursue wisdom, just to get very practical here. First thing is uh, you have to pursue boundaries. Any conversation about uh, recovering from sexual sin and brokenness has to begin with the conversation about boundaries. You have to pursue boundaries. Boundaries with people of the opposite sex that your spouse knows they can count on you for. Um, boundaries when it comes to your internet usage, your cell phone usage. Um, th- those of you who are parents and have kids in your home, I highly recommend in the age we live in and uh, the accessibility of porn over the Wi-Fi in your home and over the different apps, whether it be Snapchat or all the different ways that kids can interact uh, over their you know, mobile devices, <coughs> I want to recommend to you that you get some kind of a router. Uh, some, uh, what we use uh, in our house is called a Rokos. And I'm not, I'm not a tech guy. Um, Dana Hausman and some others here at our, our church are awesome tech folks and could answer a billion questions about what's good and what's bad. Um, I, I don't, this is what we use at our home. It's actually a router that plugs into your existing router and it works off of an app on your phone. And so as parents, you can control when your kids are on uh, the Wi-Fi or not and you can get a, a picture of where they've been, what they've been doing. You can filter content. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff you can do with this. Another one that I've heard that's uh, supposedly even better than this is the Disney Circle. I've heard um, some families in our church use that one. There's a whole bunch of them out there. And so what I would recommend to you to do if your home is unguarded and there's no boundary there, I would recommend you go, out, you go research for yourself what would be the best thing for you, for your family, and then spend the money to purchase one of these and do it. Some of you are sitting there right now going, well, that sounds like that's going to take a lot of my time, and it's also going to cost a whole bunch of money, like hundreds of dollars probably. Yeah, that's right. You can be led down a path to sexual brokenness easily. You have to choose to pursue a path to sexual healing Will it cost your time? Yes. Will it cost you some money? Yes. What's healing worth to you? What's, um, what's, it, what's freedom worth to you? You have to choose to pursue wisdom. Um, another another uh, way you can, you know, experience um, boundaries is if you have an Android phone, I'm not really sure about iPhones, but you can actually set a proxy for your cell phone signal with your um, service provider which I've done, um, and so, and you can, I know with Android phones you can do it. I'm not really sure about iPhones, but again, you have to call, you have to interact, you have to look into that kind of thing to do it. Uh, at this point in my life, I can't on my cell phone with the signal or with the Wi-Fi when I'm at home, I can't look at porn. I literally can't. These are the kind of boundaries you have to put in place if you really want to pursue freedom in your life. Uh, the next thing, and I'll, there's lots to that, that conversation, I know, but it, it's, it's not just enough to put in boundaries in place. I've learned it's not enough just to try to put the gate a little bit higher and, and, you know, build the fence up a little bit more. You actually, the next thing you have to do is you have to pursue healing. Again, the language is you have to pursue it. <coughs> you have to pursue healing. Oh, no, he, this is the part where he's going to tell me I have to go to counseling. Yeah, probably. That, that might exactly be what you need to do next. We have an awesome counseling ministry here at Frontline. We would love to help you get connected and take a next step to do that. I'm, I'm not a counselor, just so we're clear, 
but uh, we have some incredible counselors and some opportunities with that. But listen to this phrase. Um, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. We don't see things as they really are. We see things as we are. In other words, there are lenses that you look through the world in and you see the world in that way because of your experiences in life, because of some of the brokenness that's in your past. That's why the whole philosophy of, hey, you do you, you be you, just live, express yourself however you want. That's why it doesn't work. It's because we don't see things as they really are. We see things as we are. When you begin to see God as he truly is, not as this shame-filled judge who's ready to lock you away for the rest of your life, but as a loving father, when you see yourself the way God truly sees you, when you see your situations and your, and your life the way that God actually sees it and the way it really is, you begin to heal. God begins to bring healing into your life. And you begin to see Jesus for who he really is. And you begin to pursue him in a relationship that's authentic and that's real. And that's where our brokenness really begins to heal. I'm going to share for you what this looked like in my life, or at least a, a part of what it looked like in my life. Um, after things kind of blew up in my, in my uh, uh, life, you know, in my 30s, I went to see a counselor and I sat down with this counselor to kind of work through just why I, I had done what I had done and what, what kind of brokenness was there from my past that needed to be healed. And this particular counselor um, led me through what's called a life map. Are anybody, are, is anybody familiar with a life map? Do you know what I'm talking about? So a few hands. So let me explain it very, uh, imagine a giant whiteboard and so what I did is, as this counselor had me literally put a timeline of my life, literally like hashtags like with a timeline of my life all across the board, from zero to 30, whatever I was at the time. And um, what, what this counselor had me do is on the top part of the line, he, ha he said, I want you to write down where it happened in your life, on the, on the hashtags, write down the positive experiences of your life that you can remember that shaped you. There's no right or wrong answer, just whatever the positive experiences were that you can recall that shaped you, write those on the top. So I did. And this took hours, by the way, this whole process. And then he said, um, write on, underneath the line, write all of the negative experiences that you ever had as a child that shaped you, that you can remember, the things that come up, and write where they happened. And so I did this. Again, it was hours. And then what we did is we sat back and we just looked at the board together and we just talked about it. And I'll, I'll never forget this moment happened where the counselor looked right at me, he said, so can you tell me why porn happened in your life? And I looked back and I said, well, you know, I was at a friend's house at 10 years old, and, that, and he goes, no, 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 no. I, I didn't ask you how you became addicted to porn. I asked you why. Do you know why porn became such an addiction in your life? And I said, no, I have no idea. And he, he points to the whiteboard and he says, look, where you put it on the board. And I look up on this board, and at 10 years old, the hashtag that said 10 years old, I had written the words, dad is gone. Some of you have heard my, um, me share this, that from the age of about 12 years old on to now, I have had the greatest dad you could ever imagine. My dad has been engaged in my life. He's been supportive. Um, I have an incredible relationship with my dad. I love my dad. There's probably nobody in my life that has shaped me more than my father from the age of about 12 on. But from zero to about 11 or 12, my dad was basically absent from my life. Uh, he was pursuing his career over pretty much his family or anything else, any kind of relationship with God that was authentic. And 
uh, I remember, I have these memories of my dad. Like my dad would be gone for weeks at a time and then he would come home off the road. And I would be, I remember I would be like, as a 10 year old kid, I'd be so excited to see my dad. I, I can't wait to see my dad again. And he'd come in the house and he just like, I don't think he knew how to engage with us, especially after being on the road. And he was tired. And so I remember he would just kind of go into this back room of our house and shut the door. And I remember how badly I wanted to go in there and I wanted to matter enough to him that he would like pay attention to me. And so I, I remember my mom would say this phrase. She would say, don't bother your dad. And so I had written, at 10 years old on this, underneath this line, I had written, dad is gone. Why is he annoyed? And then I had written, don't bother your dad. That was the, the memory, that was the phrase I always remember hearing, don't bother your dad. And then right next to it, I mean, literally the next word I had written right next to that hashtag was the word porn. And when I saw it, I mean, it was the first time in my life I had ever connected those things. And when I looked up at that board and that counselor says, do you know why? And I looked at it and I saw that. I mean, it, I literally broke it was the most undoing experience of my life. I literally just began weeping. It was like this tidal wave of grief just swept over me. I couldn't even hold it back. It was like this, I just broke down and wept. I couldn't even control myself for a few minutes. I had never seen that. I had never seen that connection between what I was looking for and how porn, if you were here last week, remember the corn dog? The thing about porn is that it's this highly processed form of sex but why do we go to it? It's so unhealthy for us. It's so gross, just like a corn dog. But it's because, because it's so processed, it's consistent. Remember? You can count on it. It's there for you. It doesn't let you down. And that's what I was needing at that point in my life. So what I'm realizing, the older I get, is that God is a father. God's the father. God wants to be a father to me that my dad can't, could never be. It can't be. And I have an awesome dad. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you the healing and the, the, the great things that are in our relationship now, but he can't go back and, and do anything about that. It's not, even his, it's not even his fault or his problem. The only th what I need, I can only get from my heavenly father. What I need, I can only get from God. So uh, very candidly, songs that we sing here at church, uh, You're a Good, Good Father, you know that song? It's, uh, um, I remember when our, <laughs> our worship leader, first started talking about, hey, I want to do that song. There was somebody on our, our tech team actually who suggested it. I remember initially my, I was like, I don't want to sing that song. And the reason is because it's hard for me to sing that song. Literally, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. I literally, the, it's hard for me to sing those words. Uh, the song we sing a lot of times here, uh, the, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That declaration, I am a child of God. It is literally hard for me to sing those songs because they touch something really deep inside of me. You have to pursue healing. I've had to dig into my past, and I've had to actually pursue what, what about these, these sexually broken situations when I, when I want to express myself that way, what about those things are feeding something in me that God wants to fulfill instead? And I'm learning that he is a good, good father, and I'm loved by him. I'm a highly esteemed, highly valued son, and he loves me, and he wants good things for me, and he can be the father to my boys that I could never be, and he can be the father to all of you that I could never be or any of your earthly father could never be. And when you let God into those places, he begins, to, he begins to break you. He begins to get at the root of why these things become so attractive to us. 
And when he brings healing, it begins to overflow out of our lives into our marriage. It begins to overflow into our relationships. It begins to overflow to our children. It's a beautiful thing. It's the most most beautiful thing in the world when it begins to happen. So pursue the path of wisdom. Pursue boundaries. Pursue your own healing. And then the third thing, you have to pursue relationships. Part of of pursuing wisdom is pursuing relationships. Remember, the woman is standing in the public square, and and she talks to, uh, listen to me, my children, my sons is the language there. It's, it's plural. She's talking to a group of people. <coughs> Author Johan Hari said this, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but connection. The opposite of addiction in our lives is not sobriety, it's connection. We need each other. We're not islands. We are not heroes. Okay, you're not a hero. You're not an island. You can't do this alone. And we can actually heal together when we come together and we be the church to one another. This is why coming to church is important. My friends, this is why it matters to be a part of church, to be a part of the body of Christ. Because the church is a place where we come together and we, we see each other. And we know we're broken people, but we can heal together. It's, it's actually through pursuing relationships that we actually heal and that we actually become bonded and we actually have a path to go forward. I've talked to you about my Friday morning men's group that I, that I joined together where we hold each other accountable. But whatever it looks like for you, I'm amazed at how many people will disappear from our church for like months at a time. And then I will hear from them finally and they'll say, you know, yeah, I kind of stopped coming to church for a while and then I did something, some sexually broken thing. And they'll say stuff like, well, then I knew I couldn't come back to church. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? When you messed up, that was the perfect time to come back to church. You needed the community. Why did you distance yourself from it? Why did you decide you were going to walk alone with that? I'll close with this uh, before we sing here in a minute. There's a guy in our church, a dear friend of mine. He, I've been his pastor for years now, decade, over a decade. And we've, um, we've developed a, a friendship over these years. And he called me up recently and said, hey, I'd like to just come in and talk with you. I said, sure. So he came and he sat down, and at 68 years old, what was happening in his life is that he found out that uh, his biological father, the man he had grown up in his home calling dad his entire life, uh, was probably not his actual biological father. Through a series of conversations with family, I won't even tell you all the, all the details, he had discovered, and his dad had died years ago, but he had discovered um, because of the sexual brokenness in his home and with his mother, that his biological dad that he had grown up calling dad probably wasn't his actual dad. And all these light bulbs are coming on in his head is like, oh, this is why, and this, that's why, and oh, this is why. And so the reason he wanted to meet with me is he wanted to ask the question, and he was asking the question, should I pursue trying to figure out who my real dad is? 68 years old. I mean, there are ways in our world today you can find that stuff out. There's ways you can go online. There's way, you know, all kinds of resources out there. And he felt like, I could probably put a lot of time and energy and maybe some money into this, and, and, and I could figure out who my real dad is. Should I do that or, or shouldn't I? And as we talked, I didn't try to lead him, steer him in any direction. I, honestly, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer to that. But what we did is we just talked about who God is. We talked about who God has been in his life. We talked about who he is. And then I asked the question, I said, what would it mean, like, 
what would this solve for you? What would this answer for you if you even found it out? And we talked about that and we just spent some time talking about it. And at the end of the conversation, he just said, you know, thank you. I think I've decided I'm not gonna pursue this. I'm not gonna try to figure out who my real dad was. And I said, really, why? And his answer was, because I already know who my father is. That's it. That is healing, my friends. I already know who my father is. That's what God wants to do for you. That's what, that's what he wants to do for all of us. He wants to be that father that we didn't have. That you're, Even if you had a great dad, if the father he could never be to you, he wants to fill in those places and bring healing to those places of our own sexual identity that are so broken. And he wants to renew us. He wants to give us a new life. I'd love to pray for us if we, if we could. And then we're going to stand and sing. Lord Jesus, uh, I guess I just want to say thank you. Thank you, God, that you ha- don't stand off at a distance from us and shame us when we uh, are broken. But you enter in, you draw close, and you speak to us as a father speaks to his sons. And you tell us about wisdom. You tell us about a path of wisdom that we can pursue. So God, this morning we acknowledge the pathway that we've walked down. And for each one of us, it's probably been a little bit different. But for each of us, God, we just acknowledge this morning the, the path of sexual brokenness that we've walked down. And we reject the lies of our culture that says, hey, just don't call it what it is. Just do whatever makes sense to you. Fulfill yourself, feel, feel good, just do whatever. And we just open ourselves up and we say, God, we want to pursue you. We wanna pursue what it means to be like Jesus. And, and just as Jesus saw himself as a, as a child of God, as a son of God, we want to pursue that, to be sons and daughters of the one true God, the Father that won't let us down. So God, would you enter into our lives in that way? Would you reveal yourself, friend of sinners, father to the fatherless? And would you be that to us, God? Would you begin to heal our brokenness? That's what we ask in Jesus' name.